Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I really can't even describe the emotions that I felt in that moment and kind of the terrifying, sobering aspect of that could have been me. Needless to say, my dad purchased me a gun quickly after <laughs> that revelation. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And you know what is coming up really fast? Do you want to take a guess? What? What? Us launching our Patreon. Very fast. Any any moment. Any, any moment, moment now. Um, we're so excited about this launch. We've been recording episodes for Patreon. And honestly, I think they might be better than our regular episodes. I know. That was my fear. I was like, <laughs> then we're going to have to... It- Yeah, step our game here. But I guess Mm -hmm. that's the point of Patreon. It's like you're getting this premium exclusive content, but we've just been having a blast recording it. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear what we've been working on. That's right. It's going to be great. All right, Billy, what day is it today? Well, today is March 30th and it's Manatee Appreciation Day. Manatees are my favorite animal. I know. I know you'd like this. (gasps) I love a manatee. I have a manatee song, but I can't reveal it. A manatee song? Yeah, about a, it's about manatees that me and Rita made up. Oh. Rita's my best friend from home. <laughs> Hi, Rita. I'm like, she what listens. do you mean you can't reveal it? Can't reveal because it. it's really embarrassing. And mm. honestly, I can't. Yeah. Okay. I have right. to be well, taken seriously. you know seriously. what? Maybe in the Patreon. <laughs> if, if we reach a certain Wait, threshold in the Patreon. I'll sing it in the Patreon. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yes. And a video. But you know what? We've tortured yes. Alexis with so many cooked fruit days that I thought it was it was good that it would be Manatee Appreciation Day. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. that. I mm-hmm. appreciate them so much. Are there any other good days? Uh, not really, no. World Bipolar Day. It's always good. Mm. Pencil Day. Pencil yeah, Day. Not, not much. Mm. National Little Red Wagon Day. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Reminds me of Johnny Gosh. Okay. Well... I think that is enough of that. We're going to jump right into the episode. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up. Ooh, and turn up. Get turned up with that anxiety. (laughs) Because this could be you. If you live in the United States you have a 1 in 19,000 chance of being murdered. With those odds, it's easy to feel invincible, like you could never be one of those statistics. You're way more likely to die of something like heart disease. Those odds are 1 in 517. So you go around thinking you could never be harmed, abducted, or worse. As you grow complacent, you let your guard down, and one day you get the shock of your life. You just came extraordinarily close to being one of those statistics. We begin today's case on August 19th of 2020. Around five months into the COVID pandemic, the world was really settling into our new normal. But this was when WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion took the world by storm. I'm sure everybody remembers 
this moment of their lives. There were other hit songs at the time, but none of them were talked about as much as this song. And sadly for the movie industry, theaters weren't back up to operating at full capacity. There were a handful of movies in theaters like Unhinged and the SpongeBob movie that managed to fill a couple seats, but for the most part, theaters were ghost towns. The setting for today's case is Jackson County, Arkansas, named after our seventh president, Andrew Jackson. And situated in the northeastern part of the state, Jackson County is mostly a farming area. Being located in the Arkansas Delta, a largely flat area with fertile soils, it makes it the perfect spot for farming. And has crops like soybeans and rice. Today, with only four incorporated cities, the entire county's population comes in at just under 17,000. Our first degree for today's case is named Chandler. A young woman named after the Chandler Bing from Friends. I'm not joking. Here for yourself. Yeah, my mom had a crush on Chandler Bing, so she was like, screw the family name, we'll just name her after my crush. Chandler grew up in Jonesboro, located in a county that neighbors Jackson to the east. And like many people in that part of Arkansas, Chandler comes from an agricultural family. Her father is what's known as a gentleman farmer, which besides sounding fancy, actually means that he doesn't personally farm the land he owns. Instead, he rents it out to other people who do. So it only makes sense that Chandler would also pursue a career in agriculture. After graduating with a degree in plant and soil science, she took a job working for a company doing logistics, data management, grain quality, and things like that. So we'll let her explain further. Basically, the salespeople at that time would give me a list of growers, is what we call them. And I would just call the number and ask to speak to the name on the list or ask to speak to the farmer and then set up a time to meet with him and kind of go over data management and like what I would be collecting from him for the company. And they needed coordinates or like physical addresses because our logistics trucks had to go and pick up grain from them to transport to a grain elevator. And they didn't know specifically whose grain bins were who because all grain bins pretty much look the same. And there are a lot around Arkansas, Mississippi, and Missouri, which were the states that I managed at the time. We would just go out there and I would either meet the farmer or they would tell me where the bins were exactly. Then I would go out there, drop a pin, make sure I wrote down the coordinates for the grain bins and label them on a spreadsheet and send it to all my sales guys in the logistics department to make sure they knew where to go. Chandler really loved her career, but there was one characteristic about the job that was uncomfortable and also unavoidable. I'm always around like random men that I've never met and meeting them in places that I've never been to with no cell service. Yeah, so this is not ideal for any career, but a lot of jobs have their own inherent risks. Despite constant encounters with farmers in remote locations, Chandler quickly found that all the farmers were pretty nice and wonderful people for the most part. There were only two instances where she felt uncomfortable, and it had nothing to do with the farmers. It was a guest that was on the property. After more than a year of doing this job, Chandler eventually left the company, but only so she could work in sales for a different agricultural company in Memphis, Tennessee. Then on August 19th of 2020... Chandler was just settling into her new job when she heard the news about a 24-year-old woman who disappeared while jogging on a Jackson County farm road. She found out about this missing woman the way a lot of people find out about cases like this, through social media. A few of my sorority sisters were posting this missing flyer, I guess you could say, on Instagram, on their stories, saying, like, please help us find this girl. And... Honestly, I didn't think she was a local girl just because a lot of my friends and a lot of sorority sisters and a lot of women, period, you know, are into true crime. So I know that I post random people's missing posters on my stories. So I figured they were doing the same. But after like 10 stories of seeing the same girl, I kind of stopped and looked. Chandler learned that the young woman was Sydney Sutherland. She was 24 years old and from a well-known Jackson County farming family. Chandler didn't know Sydney personally, but she did have a loose connection to her. One of her sorority sisters was Sydney's best friend, and they'd been best friends since they were kids. The family of the sorority sister also did farming on some of her father's land, so they were family friends as well. It was enough of a connection to make Chandler, a true crime buff, pay extra close attention to the movements of this case. 
Chandler followed news of Sydney's disappearance closely. She watched as tons of people went out searching for her and shared her missing persons poster widely on social media. Chandler wasn't the only one watching this case unfold. Sydney's disappearance made national news. And as her face circulated through the media, onlookers learned who Sydney was. Born on September 18, 1995, to her parents Dion and Maggie, Sydney grew up on her family farm in Jackson County with her two older brothers. Known as sassy to her loved ones, Sydney was the only girl on both sides of the family, which meant she was heavily doted on, especially by her mom and her brothers. Sydney loved shopping, the color pink, her dogs, and above else, her two nieces. She was outgoing, compassionate, and genuine. Everything you'd want in a daughter, sister, friend, and aunt. And with a soft round face, gorgeous brown eyes, stunning smile, and flowing blonde hair, Sydney was the quintessential girl next door. Beyond her beauty and her kindness, her passion was caring for people, which prompted her to pursue a career in nursing, and she was also an avid runner. Initial reporting about Sydney's disappearance revealed that she had vanished after going out for a run. And by the time she had been missing for 24 hours, there were rumors circulating throughout the small town as well as online. Chandler recalled one of the rumors for us. We heard some rumors that she was like human trafficked for like one day. People were like, oh my gosh, we heard that she was trafficked and that's what happened. The county was on edge. There wasn't a lot of crime in this area, let alone sex trafficking. Then on August 21st, almost as quickly as the rumors began, they were put to bed after the police announced they'd solved the case. Sydney had not been sex trafficked. She'd been murdered. And the police already had the suspect in custody. But beyond that, the police wouldn't give any other details. The news of Sydney's murder was devastating, confusing, and infuriating to locals, who were now left to wonder how she died, how she was found, and what kind of monster would do this to her. Beyond that, and how the police captured them. Luckily, they didn't have to wait long to find out the name of the culprit. On August 22nd, Chandler was at lunch with her mom, aunt, and grandmother when the news was announced. I was eating lunch with my grandmother, my aunt, and my mother at my grandmother's house. And we all loved, you know, juicy gossip. And my mother was like, did you see they caught that Sydney Sutherland girl's killer? And I was like, no, who who was it? Was it, you know, sex trafficking like they thought? Like, what what was it? And she turned the phone around and I saw his mugshot. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I know him. And she was like, what do you mean you know him? So who is this guy? What did he do to Sydney? And how did Chandler know him? To answer all these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. In October of 2018, after graduating from college, Chandler started working at the agricultural company she told us about earlier. For all of 2019, she was in charge of a project where her manager gave her a list of growers in Arkansas that she needed to contact. And one of these farmers was a guy named Quake, Quake Llewellyn. He was 28 years old, and at 6 foot 3, 345 pounds, with a bushy beard and mustache, he was a behemoth of a man. Born on June 28, 1992, Quake's parents divorced when he was in the first or second grade. His mother, Carrie, had custody of him, while his father sporadically came in and out of his life. Within a few years, Carrie remarried, but that relationship ended in divorce as well. Then, when Quake was in ninth grade, Carrie married her third husband, Michael Llewellyn. Quake loved Michael and considered him to be his father, especially after Michael adopted him. Chandler told us that Michael and his family owned around 6,000 acres of farmland and were very well-known and respected farming family in this area. Him and his family have been farming for a long time, and they're very clean farmers. Um, they have a clean farm. They have a nice farming operation. It, it to me, said, this is a really wealthy family. This is a really, like, clean family. They know exactly what they're doing with farming. They've been doing it kind of like farming royalty, I guess. Um, I know that they did win an award, I think in 2016, for like the Arkansas Farming Family of the Year or something like that. Like, they're very pristine. And I know he has a lot of acreage. 
As a teenager, Quake started working on the Llewellyn farm. He fell in love with the work, and by 2019, when Chandler was working on her project, Quake was running his own 500-acre farm while still helping out the family whenever was necessary on the farm. Chandler's boss told her to contact Quake, but that proved easier said than done. Quake was on my list, and so I called him up, and it took me like a couple of times to reach him where... The other growers, it was just so easy to reach them and so easy to have a conversation with them. It was extremely difficult to have a conversation with Quake. It was extremely difficult to get a hold of him. Chandler and Quake played phone tag for quite some time. A couple of times that I did get like text messages back or phone calls back, we would schedule a time to meet at his farm so he could show me which grain bins were his, which grain bins had the certain rice that we needed for this contract, and... Every time that the date would come up, he would be unavailable. Chandler was surprised by Quake's elusiveness. None of the other farmers on her list were this difficult to deal with. Especially not any of the other Llewellyn farmers, who had a great reputation in the community. I believe that I've spoken to, I don't know, there's a lot of Llewellyns that I've spoken to in Arkansas. So I believe that I've spoken to one of his cousins or uncle on the phone, and they were all just very pleasant. I mean, I never felt uncomfortable out there. Finally, Chandler was able to get a hold of Quake and actually have a conversation with him. The first time that I spoke to him after numerous attempts to try to reach him, he was pleasant. Um, He's very simple. And he just basically told me, you know, I farm in this area, just come out to this road and my grain bins will be on the right. And I was like, okay, that doesn't really help me, but all right, um, could you give me more detail? And he was like, I've got to go, but you can just text me later. I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, so I just kind of put him to the bottom of my list. For Chandler's job, ideally, the farmers would meet her to physically show her the bins so they could talk through some logistics. Chandler couldn't pin Quake down, so eventually she just went out there by herself. She scoped out the farm, she found his bins, she did what she needed to do and reported back to her logistics team. Then she left and thought little of Quake until it was time for the contracts to be signed. So we basically had growers sign contracts with us saying that we had rights to their rice to send to this other company. And the contracts were like docu-signs. So I would send them out to the growers we would have an email pop up when they opened it to let us know that they received it and they opened it. And then they would sign it via DocuSign, send it back to us. So when Quakes went through and it shows that he read it, but he never signed it. Chandler had to call Quake again, but he didn't answer. And after weeks of calling, she finally got a hold of him on the phone, but he was less than pleasant. Finally, he answered and I was like, hey, I need you to, you know, sign the contract and it'll send it back to us via email. And he basically told me that he didn't have email. I was like, yes, you do. I just got an email saying that you opened it. And he basically argued with me and said that he needed someone to come out to his farm to collect the data, get the coordinates for his grain bin, that no one had done any of that yet. And then they could pick up the contract. And I told him, no, I have been in contact with you. I have gotten your coordinates, gotten everything I needed. And he was just very, like, irate on the phone. Chandler was taken aback by what Quake said to her next. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. In 2019, our first degree Chandler was trying to get a hold of one of her farm clients, a guy named Quake Llewellyn, so he could complete the contract for his grain bins. When she finally got in touch with him, Quake was irate. He said no one had been out to his farm to collect data or get the coordinates for his grain bins. Chandler explained to Quake that she'd already done all of that for him. All she needed him to do was sign the contract via DocuSign. But instead of doing that, Quake took it to a creepy level. He eventually, like I heard him say, one of you girls needs to come out here and get this contract for me. And that was like the end of the conversation. I said, no, sir, it's a DocuSign, and he hung up on me. Chandler had no idea why Quake hung up on her, or why he was so persistent that a woman come out to the farm with the contracts. All she knew was that Quake gave her really bad vibes, and she did not want to go to his farm again, especially alone. In January of 2020, Chandler took a sales job at a different agricultural company, and this one was based in Memphis. That's where she was when she found out why she had such bad vibes about Quake. It's because he was not a good guy. In fact, he was a murderer. He was the person responsible for the death of Sidney Sutherland. So I know you're all wondering, what happened to Sydney? There's a million questions, and we're going to get to all of them. But first, we're going to have to go back one more time. From 2007 to 2011, Quake Llewellyn attended Tuckerman High School. With less than 200 students, Tuckerman was the type of school where literally everyone knew everyone by name. 200 is not a lot. And one of the students Quake knew was Sydney Sutherland, who was three years younger than he was. And because she was active in numerous extracurriculars, including the National Beta Club and the softball team, it would have been difficult for a student not to know who Sydney was, especially, you know, she was striking. Quake and Sydney were not BFFs, they were not friends. There were simply two students attending a very small school in a very tight-knit community. Following his graduation in 2011, Quake attended Arkansas State University, ASU, in Newport. Quake didn't like college. He preferred to work on the farm, so he dropped out. 
But instead of going back to work for his stepfather like he had as a teen, Quake started his own rice and soybean farm on 500 acres of rented land. And this might seem kind of like an odd choice since his family already owned a well-known and reputable farm, but Quake's decision was actually totally normal. Most members of the Llewellyn family owned their own farms while still helping each other out. Quake moved out of his parents' house when he was 23. Then two years later, in March 2018, he got married. Quake's wife, Gracie, had three children who lived with them full-time, so Quake was now a stepfather to these kids. In 2020, Quake, Gracie, and the kids moved in with his parents in Jonesboro so they could save up to build a house. They were still living there in August 2020 when Sydney vanished. And while Quake was establishing his own farm and family, Sydney Sutherland was working on her career. After graduating in 2014, she attended ASU in Newport, where she earned her licensed practical nursing license. But Sydney didn't stop there. While working as an LPN for Unity Health Harris Medical Center, she continued her education, earning her registered nurse license in December 2019. In August of 2020, Sydney was working as an RN for Unity Health and living with her boyfriend, Alex, in a house off Highway 18 in Jackson County. In her free time, Sydney was passionate about fitness. On top of having a gym trainer, Sydney went running on the same route every single day. She'd start at her house on Highway 18 and head toward Jackson County Road 41, a rural gravel road. She'd run down Road 41 for a few miles and then retrace her steps back home. And it was on this route that Sydney would often encounter Quake. From what I heard, they had spoken a lot when she was out on those runs. I mean, she, she did it every day. He knew her route. He knew that she ran those roads. I mean, his farm is on the way to those roads. So, I mean, he knew. So he probably did stop and talk to her. And he probably was just super friendly and would just be like, oh, hey, Sydney, what's up? You know, I see you running every day. We're, we weren't friends in high school, but we knew each other in high school. So, yeah, I'm sure they did talk. And since he farmed in the town that she lived in, I'm sure he was in town a lot and probably ran into her. I know she was a nurse um, and worked out at one of the gyms there frequently. So I don't know. He probably did run into her a lot. On August 19th of 2020, Sydney went out for her daily run, as she always did. She left sometime between 2.30 and 3 p.m. A UPS driver saw her jogging southbound along Jackson County Road 41. She was just north of the U.S. Highway 67 overpass, And she was heading home, so she was on the final leg of her run, and she only had about 1.5 miles left until she was back home. When Sydney didn't make it home by 5 p.m., her boyfriend Alex called her out of worry, but the calls went straight to voicemail. Alex then called Sydney's mom, Maggie, to see if she knew what was going on, but she didn't either. At around 7 p.m., the Jackson County Sheriff's Office received a call reporting 24-year-old Sydney missing. And that's when all of these social media posts about Sydney's disappearance started flooding in. About two hours after she was supposed to be somewhere, people started posting. And it was like, you know, Sydney Sutherland is missing. We haven't seen her in a couple of hours. She's always on time. She's not this kind of person to just not show up. She's very communicative towards like everybody. Like this is not, this is not normal. We don't know what's going on. We're worried for her. While people like our first-degree Chandler shared posts about Sydney's disappearance, about 150 people started searching the area surrounding Sydney's jogging route. And remember, this is an area characterized by its vast swaths of farmland, so there's an incredible amount of terrain to cover. Quake's brother Sam took part in the search, and while he was out searching with other volunteers, he received a call from an acquaintance saying that his brother Quake had told their stepfather that he had seen Sydney running on the overpass, heading south toward her house on the day she went missing. Sam was very interested in this tip because that meant that besides the UPS driver, Quake was possibly the last person to see Sydney alive. So law enforcement at this point is trying to wrap their heads around what could have happened to Sydney. And they're speculating maybe she had a medical emergency by the side of a road. Maybe she'd been hit by a car, maybe a drunk driver. And maybe, hopefully, she'd be found safe and sound. That was the hope. But by the next morning, August 20th, Things were getting scary because now she's missing overnight. And word of Quake's sighting of Sydney had made its way to police, who contacted him for a statement. But when asked, Quake didn't have anything more to add other than what Sam had heard. 
Meanwhile, the search of Sydney continued on the ground and from the sky, with a mixture of law enforcement and volunteers. Sam wasn't the only Llewellyn who partook in the search. Quake helped too. Quake was actually a part of the search party, um, which, of course, he was. And he actually went up and hugged Sydney's mother and said that he hopes that we find her soon. Quake had also joined a Facebook group dedicated to finding Sydney. Then on August 20th, Sydney's iPhone was located in a field around 1.3 miles from where her home was, and it wasn't damaged which led police to believe that she hadn't been hit by a car or anything like that. Authorities started digging through her records, hoping to find any clue of her whereabouts. It's unclear why, but while all of this was going on, Quake's stepfather, Michael, didn't feel like his stepson was telling police everything he knew about Sydney's disappearance. So he encouraged Quake to speak with them further. On August 21st, Michael and Quake went to the police station. There... Quake consented to letting the police search his 2019 GMC truck. Not fully understanding Quake's possible connection to this case yet, they searched the truck thoroughly and found what appeared to be a lot of relevant evidence. First off, they noticed that his truck was dented in in the front. And when they looked at the dent closer, officers actually saw blonde hair stuck to various parts of the truck around the dented portion. So then... In the cracks of the tailgate, officers found blood and more blonde hair. It's really a chilling discovery. And this was obviously extremely suspicious to police, so they sat down with Quake to press him further. But Quake clammed up, and he refused to talk. So the police asked if they could search his phone, and Quake says yes. After looking over the GPS history, they found that around an hour after Sydney was assumed to have gone missing, Quake was in the area. In fact, he was 2.36 miles northwest of where her phone had been found. Just before 2 p.m., officers drove out to the coordinates they found on Quake's phone. They were led to one of Quake's rice fields. And there, officers made a heartbreaking discovery. A freshly dug grave. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On the second day of the search for missing Sydney Sutherland, Quake Llewellyn and his stepfather arrived at the police station for Quake to be questioned. A search of his truck revealed a dent, blonde hair, and blood. And after searching his phone, officers went to a location 2.36 miles from where Sydney's phone had been found. Quake had been there around an hour after Sydney was assumed to have gone missing. There they found a grave, and inside it they found Sydney's body. Sydney had been subjected to multiple blunt force injuries. It was honestly the worst possible outcome for all of Sydney's friends, her family, and boyfriend, who were all praying to find her safe and sound. After the discovery was made, the police confronted their main suspect. They confronted Quake about it. He did not want to say anything, but his family is a really good family. And they were like, you need to tell the truth. You need to say what happened. And he listened to them and he confessed everything. According to Arkansas State Police Special Agent Mike McNeil, Quake told him that between 2 and 3 p.m., he was driving down Jackson County Road 41 to check on a well and some fields when he passed Sydney jogging. Then he said that he turned around, hit her with his truck, 
and forced her into the back of the truck before driving around three miles to the rice field. This is any woman's worst nightmare. There, Quake raped and killed Sydney, someone he'd known since grade school. Then he used a shovel from his truck to dig a shallow grave in the field. After burying Sydney, he went back to checking wells and fields like it never fucking happened. Quake told the police that he was done working by around five or six. So then he went home and he ate dinner. Later that evening, after news of Sydney's disappearance broke, Quake's stepfather called to see if Quake knew anything. And Quake said he saw Sydney running, but that was it. Later, he just went to bed next to his wife without telling anyone what happened. He just wanted to forget about it. He said, I tried to forget about it when I went home that night. So he basically, it's just like her life meant nothing to him. Like he just tried to forget about it. Okay, you piece of crap. Like you are a human hemorrhoid. Like what is wrong with you? According to an affidavit, when officers asked if he knew Sydney, Quake said he didn't know her that well. They had only gone to high school together. But when investigators went through his phone, they found that Quake had recently unfriended Sydney on Facebook. And the authorities never defined what recently meant or gave any other updates on this piece of information, but we did think it was interesting. He could have maybe unfriended her after the crime to distance himself from the whole investigation or from having a connection to her, or it could have been way before any of this had ever happened. But that fact is just interesting in itself. Right. And trying to decipher the mind of a monster capable of doing something like this is a waste of time. We'll never understand this because it's cruel, it's senseless, and it's one of those tragedies that comes out of left field and sends seismic shock through a community. And that's exactly what it did. Police were looking for evidence of a motive or premeditation, but none was ever found, leading us to conclude that he's simply an evil, garbage person who saw Sydney as an object and felt entitled to take what he wanted when he wanted to. And he felt further entitled to throw her away when he was done, like she never existed. A really disgusting example of a human, and yet it's a sickeningly cliche archetype in the world of true crime. You know, immediately while we were going through this case, I thought of Teresa Halbeck in For Making a Murderer, because she had that job where she had to go out, take photos of these cars, these used cars uh, to sell. And she got creeps, got got creeped out by this guy. Yeah. He answered the, didn't he answer the door in a, in a towel, I believe at some point. And she told yeah, her and bosses. He, he called and requested her. And I think there was a hang up call. Like she had, he'd called and hung up once when she answered. Like yeah. he, didn't he call her a bunch of times? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was that same thing. He lived on like a junkyard yeah. and she had to go out there by herself. And Chandler brought up a really good point. She's like, not only are you out there by yourself, most of these places have no cell service. That's mm. so fucking terrifying. Like, no. no cell service. Because you're out in the boondocks where there's yeah. like no service anywhere. And like some cut times creeps bet on that. Oh, absolutely. No, just like hearing about Chandler's job just as a baseline, not knowing the connection to the story whatsoever it's terrifying because as a woman, your mind immediately goes to something horrific happening. Like that's just what we constantly have to live in fear of, especially, well, just living a normal life, but more importantly in situations like that. Right. And like even beyond work, you hear about, you know, Molly Tibbetts was a recent, very similar case. We're literally just on a run. Like women can't even go on a run without worrying that's during the day when it's in a safe community, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. somebody saw her and like felt entitled to her, to her life, to take what they wanted. And then, which is, it's horrifying that in all this farmland, like it took a really long time to find Molly because there's like miles and miles of fucking cornfields, a million places to hide a body. It's awful. Yeah. So following the confession, Quake was arrested and held in jail until he could go before a judge. In the meantime, Quake's mother, Carrie, and his wife, Gracie, contacted the police to tell them about some home security footage they might want to see. The footage showed Quake's truck prior to Sydney's murder, and there was no dent in the front. But when he came home later that evening, there was a dent. On August 24th, Quake was officially charged with capital murder, rape, kidnapping, and abuse of a corpse. He was later transferred to the Randolph County Jail for safety reasons, and whenever he went to court, he had to wear a bulletproof vest. I mean, people were outraged 
in this community. It's not surprising. I mean, so many people love this girl, and she was just like a fixture in this small town. There was so much just like anarchy in Jackson County when it happened that they had to move it to a different county, which they could have taken it anywhere and everybody would have still come up with the same verdict. Guilty, guilty, guilty. You did it. There's no way around it. You literally confessed to it. But I would just see things on Instagram that people would post like, you know, oh, his sentence is moving along or stuff like that. And also I would talk to the family that farms our land and ask them if they had heard anything. The mother of, not Sydney's mother, but the girl that is the daughter of the couple that farms our land. I talked to her mother and she was, you know, she was in the search party. She was helping them find Sydney and everything. And she was just like, I'm ready for him to rot. And I was like, me too. I mean, I hope he rots in jail and hell. She deserves it for taking her life so senselessly. In January of 2021, Quake underwent a court-ordered competency evaluation with a psychologist. His attorney would be present during this evaluation. And during it, Quake detailed a completely different story than what he told police previously. It was clear he had been working on a defense with his attorneys. So what he said, he said he was driving down the road when he passed Sydney. He turned back around, but due to dust from the gravel road, he could no longer see her. He felt his truck hit her, so he stopped, got out, and went to see if she was okay. When Sydney didn't respond to Quake, he thought she was dead, so he put her body back in his truck. Quake told the psychologist that he had no idea why he didn't call 911 after hitting her. He was, quote, just scared. He said that it was all a blur, but he didn't recall feeling different or stressed at any point during this whole experience. He knew that putting her in the back of his truck and taking off was illegal, but he didn't want to get in trouble. So at this point, he's trying to claim this was an accident. Yeah. So he told the psychologist that he drove Sydney to the rice field because he was already headed that way when he accidentally hit her. After driving there, he put the tailgate down and, quote, messed with her a bit. Okay, dude, it's not an accident if you rape and further injure the victim. When asked for more information, Quake's attorney told him not to say anything further. This is some defense. He never offered any details to explain what happened on the tailgate, but it's obvious he couldn't explicitly admit to the fact that he raped Sydney. In the end, the psychologist found that Quake knew what he was doing, he knew what he was doing was wrong while committing this crime, and he was not legally insane. He was competent to stand trial. I just think it's so interesting. You hear this all the time about men being like, yeah, I killed her, but I didn't rape her even though there's evidence of it. It's like everyone's afraid to be called a rapist. And it's like you're chill with murderer, but like that rape is where you draw the line, even though you clearly did it. Like that's where your moral ground is really standing. Yeah, like you're you're better than rape. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that goes down to uh, them in jail. Yeah. They don't want to be known as rapists in jail. I thought it yeah. was just with kids. I didn't yeah, know they still, cared about rape. I, 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 I mean, with kids, that's the ultimate, absolutely. The ultimate. But I think, yeah. But I think it probably is there as well. But yeah. Hmm. Well, Quake's jury trial was scheduled and the state announced they'd be seeking the death penalty. Quake decided to take a plea deal rather than go to trial, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of questions left unanswered that I'm sure people really wanted to know. On October 1st, 2021, Quake pled guilty to capital murder and rape. In exchange for his plea, the prosecution took the death penalty off the table and dropped the kidnapping and corpse abuse charges. The deal was approved by Sydney's family. They were consulted on it. They wanted Quake to get the death penalty, but with the deal, they'd get to avoid a trial and Quake wouldn't be allowed to appeal. And the thought of being dragged through this again was too much for them. Quake was sentenced to life without parole for murder and life for rape. At the sentencing hearing, Sydney's mother, Maggie, read a very passionate victim impact statement. When she started reading, Quake looked away, but Maggie ordered him to face her. She told him that she was glad he'll just be a number in prison, adding, Satan is real. The hands you hugged me with are the same hands you killed her with. She was not yours to take. Did we even talk about that? I don't think we did yet. That the fact that Quake joined the search and hugged Sydney's mother and hoped said she, he'd hope she'd be found okay. Like it's fucking disgusting. It is the most grotesque like thing I can think of. Like a crying, panicked mother and the the hand you killed her daughter with your hands. Like, what a fucking disgusting thing to do. 
And remember, he he injected himself into the investigation, you know, not only the fact of going to the search, but also, you know, telling his father, yeah, oh, I saw her while I was driving, I and that was it, you know? I mean, this could have kept on going for a really long time. They might not have even found her body for a while, if not for him telling his dad, and the dad doing the right thing, and saying, you, you better go call the police. Yeah, yeah, because it seems like other than his dad kind of being like, you need to go talk to the police, there wasn't much that was connecting him to her at no, all. no. Fucking idiot. Totally. So Sydney's father had also written a statement that read in part, Quake, you are a 300-pound coward that hit my 100-pound daughter with a 3,000-pound truck. Sydney's brother had a friend read his statement, which detailed that he now has insomnia and his daughters don't understand why their aunt is gone, which is so heartbreaking. So sad. Because there wasn't a trial, it's still unclear why Quake killed Sydney. Was it a crime of opportunity? Or had he planned to kill her? We asked our first degree Chandler what she thought. She's beautiful. Absolutely stunning. You know, the quintessential Southern blonde girl. Like, beautiful. And he is anything but attractive. So I'm sure that he didn't get a lot of attention in high school, I'm sure he didn't get a lot of girls in high school or after high school. You know, she, she's gorgeous, and I think that he probably did fantasize about her. I, I can't rationalize, which there's no way to rationalize murder anyway, but I just can't rationalize in my brain what made him snap. So I think it's either he had been fantasizing about her for a long time, maybe he had a crush on her in high school and she didn't give him the time of day, or maybe he just has a mental illness and impulsivity got the best of him. And he was like, I wonder what this would feel like. Chandler has thought about this case a lot, not only because of all the unanswered questions, but because she can't help but think about all the what ifs. Like, what if she had gone to Quake's farm to get the contract like he demanded? I mean, I'm out in the middle of his farm doing business. I could have just turned around and he could have whacked me upside the head or something and drug me into his farm shop or truck or anything. It just, it kind of like, it freaked me out because even though I listen to true crime 24 seven, just the fact that I knew someone who did something so horrible, it was very sobering. And it like brought all of those true crime stories to light as, oh my gosh, this isn't just something that I listen to for entertainment, which is already kind of messed up, but it's real. And a girl that I have a connection to is dead because of this guy that I know that I've been to his farm and he buried her on his farm. It was, I really can't even describe the emotions that I felt in that moment and kind of the terrifying, sobering aspect of that could have been me. Needless to say, my dad purchased me a gun quickly after <laughs> that revelation. Chandler has learned so much from the senseless murder of Sydney. She still meets with farmers in remote fields, but now she always has the gun with her. Now I'm way more cautious of what I do and where I go and who I'm with. I think my discernment wasn't really in full effect before this happened and now being still at the same company and still, you know, being in a sales job where I am calling random men and meeting them on their farms. Quake is always in the back of my mind and I'm always, you know, thinking, what if this person is evil? You know, what if this person has an agenda? I definitely have studied more psychology just to try to pick up on cues in people when I'm meeting them or talking to them to see if they're psychopaths, honestly. Like, I, I know that sounds extreme, but I just want to make sure that I am safe and can spot someone evil. And it really, I mean, I, if I feel uncomfortable talking to someone on the phone and I feel like their energy or vibe is off on the phone, I will just tell them that, there's no way I can meet you in person. We'll have to do all of our business on the phone. But I'm very vigilant and observant of everyone around me to the point that, I mean, sometimes it's kind of depressing to know that my little fairy tale bubble that I used to live in of safety and I'm invincible, it doesn't exist because 
quite popped it for me and for a lot of people in that area. We asked Chandler if she had any last thoughts she wanted to share with us. I wanted her case to get out there, and I wanted people to be aware that even though you know them, you don't know them, and you need to be extremely careful. And if you are going to go running and you want to do it outside, bring a weapon or run maybe somewhere where a car can't get to you. It just breaks my heart and makes me sick to my stomach, and I wanted her story to get out there, not to glorify that piece of crap, but to let people know that she was just such a, from what her friends said and her family said, a beautiful soul whose light got snuffed out by a human hemorrhoid. So as a woman, I think I speak for all of us when I say we're tired of being scared to do things like go running. We're exhausted by having to walk to our cars at night with such extreme caution. No one is ever 100% safe, but I think we can all agree that women are in a constant state of vulnerability, one we're tired of existing in. It's important to stay vigilant and never let your guard down. Parents, get your kids help if they exhibit any alarming red flags. Always monitor the behaviors of those close to you. Because killers, they come from somewhere. They have families, and they have wives, and they have people in their lives who can intervene before the worst-case scenario happens. It takes a fucking village to keep people safe, so you have to do your part. Well, huge thank you to Chandler for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkletter at Jack Vanek. Follow us on TikTok. We just got one. Search the first degree with three E's. You can join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. And come back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feeds. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. (laughs) Happy Manatee Day. Happy Manatee Day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are Court Documents, Boston 25 News, KATV, Action News, Jax, Kate 8, Fox 16, Arkansas Online, People, Jonesboro Sun, Oxygen, and as always, our first three guest is always our largest source. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.